Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. We're going to pick up today in this program where we left off last week, and we have been spending the last several programs in point number four of our handout, which is uh, exploring the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. And that handout is available at the radio station here at whcbradio.org, whcbradio.org, and just look for Exploring Bible Prophecy to find that handout. And it is uh, provided for your benefit because we have a lot of scriptures that we cover in each of the points that are covered, uh, looking at the differences between the second coming and the rapture. Two totally different events. One is the rapture with the Son of God coming to uh, take the church with him home to heaven for a period of time called the tribulation, which we are rescued from and promised to be rescued from any number of times in the Old Testament. And then we come back at the second coming with him as his wife, because we've been wedded to him in heaven. And we come back uh, in his glory to rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years during the uh, millennial kingdom. So we want to talk about the uh, millennial kingdom as we finish up our Um, consideration of point number four under the second coming where Jesus comes back, stands on the Mount of Olives, fights uh, for Jerusalem uh, at the Battle of Armageddon, and judges the nations uh, based on, as we find out in Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 in our our, uh, scriptural notes, that he judges them on on how they scattered his uh, people Israel among the Gentile nations. And, of course, that's been the case for a couple of thousand years now. And then uh, we want to talk about the millennial kingdom that he sets up following the judgment of the unrighteous on the earth. So at that point, following the judgments at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, only righteous people are on the earth. And those righteous people that are on the earth are in what, uh, what I would call their Adamic bodies. They have flesh and blood just as we do today. So the people who made it through the tribulation period and were judged in the judgments to be righteous are the people, the Jews and the Gentiles, the nations that will, um, if you will, walk into the millennial kingdom with Christ sitting on the throne. The church, of course, will be in its glorified bodies, as will the Old Testament saints that are resurrected at the uh, second coming, the uh, tribulation saints that are killed during the tribulation for standing for the gospel and um, losing their lives because of that stance, they will be resurrected and they will have their glorified bodies and we will be uh, reigning with the Lord for a thousand years uh, in our immortal bodies. But there will be people called Jews on the earth during the millennial kingdom and there will be people called Gentiles or the nations walking on the earth, uh, living as they did before, living as we do now, only it'll be dramatically different in the sense that the Lord will be cleansed, the, um, 
sin will be, uh, Satan will be in the bottomless pit. The Antichrist and the false prophet will have been thrown into the lake of fire at the second coming judgments. So sin will be greatly, greatly reduced, not done away with. This is not eternity. This is not where there is no sin and no tears. That is in eternity we see at the end of the book of Revelation. But throughout a good part of the Old Testament and and in Revelation and other places that uh, in many places, actually, because it's very, very heavily prophesied, there will be a, 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 a wonderful time during the millennial kingdom, but it is not perfection. The end of the book of Isaiah talks about people living as long as trees during the millennial kingdom, but they will die. At some point in time, people will die. To uh, die before a 100 years old, Isaiah says through the leading of the Holy Spirit, you will be considered accursed. So it's going to be a beautiful time, but it's um, because Jesus is on the throne and people can come from around the world to see him on the throne and worship before him, Um, but it will not be in perfection until eternity. So we want to pick up where we left off last time, and that was in the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, and that uh, along with uh, Jeremiah and Daniel are the three books that were written at the same time dealing with the Babylonian captivity from a historical perspective, but all three of those books, but particularly Ezekiel and Daniel, were from a very prophetic perspective looking at the redemption of Israel, the blessing of Israel, and Israel being preeminent among the nations during the millennial kingdom. So we were in Ezekiel 36. So if you find uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then you'll come to Ezekiel, find chapter 36. And we were actually read a good portion of it over the last uh, two programs. We started in verse 22 and read through the end of chapter 36 uh, at verse 38. And it was talking about how, um, just to highlight the uh, a few key points in that long passage, it says in verse 24, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. And then, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so that you will be my people, and I will bring, I will be your God. So the, the key points here are that Israel will be judged at the end of the millennia, excuse me, at the end of the tribulation period at the second coming of Christ. And the, those that are uh, judged as righteous by the Lord will have their hearts changed from a heart of stone, which is what Israel has been called for millennia, to have a uh, stiff neck and a forehead of bronze and a heart of stone. We read in different places in Jeremiah and so forth. But here they will be given a heart of flesh, and the Spirit of God will be within them. And that's a description of the church today, is we have the Spirit of God within us. It doesn't come on us. It comes within us, and when it comes within us, it remains that it, he, the Holy Spirit, 
He, the Holy Spirit, remains with us forever. So the same thing is being um, told of Israel at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, that they will be, uh, they will have the Holy Spirit within them forever. And then to conclude Ezekiel 36 in the review, it says that um, the nations, verse 36, the nations uh, that are left round about you and those that have survived Armageddon and have been proven as righteous through the judgment of the sheep and goats, which is a judgment of all the Gentiles at the end of the tribulation, the nations will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like the flock of sacrifices, like the flock of Jerusalem during their appointed feasts. So will the waste cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So one of the ways that the Lord, uh, the many ways, he's going to increase the uh, bountifulness of the land so that the fruits and the vegetables and the grains come back and there will never be a famine. We read that in earlier verses in this passage in Ezekiel 36. But here he's talking about blessing the people, specifically the numbers of the people. Because remember, this is the end of the tribulation, uh, therefore the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And the tribulation was a terrible time on the earth when most of the population of the earth was killed, uh, either through the act of man, through the act of nature, which is the hand of God, or through the acts of judgment of Jesus uh, against the different groups. So consequently, there are few people left. So it says in verse 36, then the nations that are left round about you will know. So the same thing is said of Israel, because we know in uh, Zechariah that two-thirds of the Israelites that are brought from the four corners of the earth, that's Matthew 24, 31, as well as in uh, this Ezekiel 36 passage, uh, verse 24, it says they'll be gathered from the four corners of the earth and will be judged. And Zechariah tells us that two-thirds, two-thirds of those Israelites will be judged rebellious and unrighteous and will be killed by the Lord. And only one-third will come into the land. So God in his graciousness says that like in verse 38, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts, so will the waste cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And as we described in our program last time when we were looking specifically at these last verses in Ezekiel 36, at the time of the sacrifices, at the time of the feasts in Israel, and there were three feasts in which all the men of Israel had to come to Jerusalem, and they had to bring their sacrificial offerings with them. And in most cases, those were sheep. So the flocks of sheep that were in Jerusalem at the time of these appointed feasts, they were everywhere. They piled into the cities, if you will. And that was the visual image that God was giving here, that I will increase the men like I had increased the flocks during the three periods of um, the feasts each year in Jerusalem. So what a, a wonderful picture of how God is going to treat uh, and to bless his people Israel, those that were counted as righteous, those who recognized and accepted his son as 
their promised Messiah that has finally come to them, even though it's the second time. And we learned in this passage that Israel, those that are in the land at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, will mourn because they'll realize that all the blessing that they have literally in front of them at that point could have been theirs 2,000-plus years before. I say plus because we don't know when the the, uh, the rapture of the church is, and of course the tribulation and the second coming follow the rapture. So we don't know when that is, but I pray that it's very soon. So let's just say 2,000 years before the Israelites could have had all of this blessing um, uh, laid at their feet by their heavenly father, God, but they refused it. So now they'll mourn uh, at the beginning of the kingdom for what they had given up. So let's um, stay in the book of Ezekiel, looking at our uh, scriptural references for point number four in our handout. And the, uh, the next one is chapter 43. And now we're in the part of Ezekiel that starts talking about the temple. This is the temple that Jesus will rule and reign from for a thousand years. And it's located in Jerusalem on uh, what we know today and from the uh, starting in the Old Testament with David, King David, as Mount Moriah. And that's the same mount where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him. So this has been a holy place for Israel since the time of Abraham, which would have been about 2000 B.C. So uh, for today, that'd be about 4,000 years that it's been a holy place for Israel, and that's where the uh, the Western Wall is today on the west side of that mount. And of course, the most notable figure uh, on the Temple Mount today is the Muslim Dome of the the Rock, the Golden Dome, uh, which during the Millennial Kingdom, all of that will be gone. So we come to chapter forty three, and this is the point where you'll recall from our last program, uh, actually the last two programs, we talked about the glory of the Lord um, leaving the temple. And he was in the temple from the time that uh, Solomon uh, built his temple back in the 930s, um, or excuse me, the 960s, and that it was uh, destroyed in 586 B.C., and just before it was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., the glory of the Lord left the temple. That's chronicled in the book of Ezekiel uh, around chapter 11, that the glory of the Lord left the temple, and he's never been back except in the temple that Herod uh, built magnificently. It was started after the Babylonian captivity um, when they returned in Zerubbabel, and the three different groups came back, um, and then King Herod embellished it uh, to make it one of the seven wonders of the world. But uh, the glory of the Lord was not in it, except when Jesus walked in it as a as a baby, as a twelve year old, and then as an adult at the end of his ministry. Um, but it says that the glory of the Lord will come back, and He comes back in the millennial kingdom to that fourth temple. Uh, that Jesus will rule from. So if we look in chapter 43 of Ezekiel, and starting at verse 4, it says, And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. And the interesting thing here is that I said back in Ezekiel chapter 11, and um, 
If you if you want to make a note and check it out, it's Ezekiel 11, verses 22 and 23. It says that the, the glory of the Lord left the temple by way of the gate facing east, which would take take you to the Mount of Olives. And from there, just as Jesus lifted off the mount, that's where the glory of the Lord went back to heaven uh, from uh, the Mount of Olives, uh, which is looking, it faces the gate that faces east. So uh, in verse 4 of Ezekiel 43, the glory of the Lord comes back the same way that he left through the gate facing east and comes into the um, temple area. Verse 5 of Ezekiel 43, and the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. So this is the spirit lifting up Ezekiel because he's chronicling these events for our benefit. Uh, Verse 5, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. The glory of the Lord filled the house. Hallelujah. Verse 6, then I heard one speaking to me from the house while a man was standing beside me. He said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. And the house of Israel will not again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their harlotry and by the corpses of their kings when they die, by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorposts beside my doorpost, with only the wall between me and them, And they have defiled my holy name by their abominations, which they have committed. So I have consumed them in my anger. So he's looking back and saying all these things that Israel did, um, not only them, but the the, uh, Gentiles who trampled on the temple and so forth. I have consumed them in my anger. And that's the tribulation and the the, uh, second coming judgments that were effected by Jesus And now that that's all done, I am now coming in my glory into the millennial temple that has been built, and this will be the the place uh, of my throne and of the soles of my feet. Looking at verse 7 again, about halfway through that verse, he says, uh, and I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. So there is your uh, millennial temple being described in a... uh, glorious way there for us by Ezekiel. So this is the uh, conclusion, if you will, of uh, point number four, where we started in uh, looking at point number four for the rapture, where we are caught up with him in the clouds to be with Jesus following the rapture forever. So we, as the church in our glorified bodies, are with Jesus forever. But then going over to the second coming, we find that he comes back to the earth with us, he judges the earth, and then he brings peace, and he says that he will be in that house judging Israel um, forever. So it's going to be a millennial kingdom, and then he will be the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, um, as promised in the Old Testament. So hallelujah to the, uh, the bringer of peace and to the establishment of the millennial kingdom. We now want to answer a question from a listener. So we'll we'll pick up this series at point number five the next time we meet. So we have a question from Tom in Bluff City, and he says, 
Why doesn't Jesus just do away with Satan at the second coming of Christ? Why not do away with Satan right at the second coming of Christ when he judges the earth? All right, let's consider this. We we do know that the um, the anti-triune Godhead, which is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, um, are the antithesis, if you will, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So here's Satan trying to mimic the triune Godhead. And we know that at the second coming of Christ, which follows the, the tribulation period, uh, we find in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, that Satan is placed in a bottomless pit at the time of the second coming. So he's placed in a bottomless pit, and he's placed there for a thousand years. So during the time that Jesus has the millennial kingdom and he's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, Satan is in that bottomless pit. We also find out in Revelation chapter 19 Um, in verse 20, that the Antichrist and the false prophet, the other two members of the anti-triune Godhead, the Antichrist and the false prophet, are judged as well at the second coming, and they are thrown into the lake of fire, which is the final place of eternal punishment. That's Everybody else goes into the lake of fire if if they're unrighteous, our, our place there at the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennial kingdom of Christ. But the Antichrist and the false prophet who caused all of the havoc and trouble during the tribulation, they're judged by Christ at the second coming, and they're thrown into the lake of fire before the millennial kingdom. So I guess the, the question then becomes, why didn't Satan go into the lake of fire at that time as well? Well, we're told in Revelation 27 through 10 that many people living in the millennial kingdom will rebel against King Jesus in Jerusalem at the very end of his thousand-year kingdom, and that Satan would be released from the bottomless pit where he's been for a thousand years, and he will wage war against the saints at Jerusalem. So just as we had the battle of Armageddon against Jerusalem Right before the second coming, a thousand years later, there's going to be another battle led by Satan uh, against Jerusalem. And at that time, at the end of the thousand years, when, when Satan is released, God will intervene and save Jerusalem and destroy Satan's army with fire from heaven. He will do it all by himself, God will, with a simple breath of his mouth. And then at that point, Satan will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire uh, where the Antichrist and the false prophet were placed a thousand years before. Something to consider is that, you know, God has a 7,000-year plan for mankind. When you look at the Bible, it's basically 7,000 years of, uh, of history and future. So 6,000 years have passed since the creation And we've got another thousand years to go before uh, eternity comes. So um, it was initiated at the time of the fall of mankind at the Garden of Eden. God knew in his omniscience, which means all-knowing, that man would fall when tested with the tree of life, of uh, the knowledge of good and, excuse me, the knowledge of um, good and evil, the tree that was in the garden. So as an act of divine grace before creation, he prepared the perfect lamb as a sacrifice 
uh, for sin. We find that in Revelation 13, verse 8. In the King James, it says, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So before there was even sin, in the graciousness of God, he prepared a a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of man, even before man fell. Uh, That would be Adam in the garden. So what a gracious God to have had the omniscience to do that. So for 6,000 of the 7,000 years of God's plan, mankind has been tempted mightily by Satan, and many have not come to faith by refusing to receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Uh, we find that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that they refuse the love of the truth so as to be saved. At Jesus' second coming, he judges the world and places the great tempter Satan in a place where he cannot tempt mankind. Yet many will rebel at the end of the tribulation. We see that in Revelation 20, verse 8. So if Satan is unable to tempt, how are they tempted to rebel against God would be the question. Because remember, Satan's in the pit. Um, Many of the evil angels have been judged and are, are being held for judgment at the great white throne along with all of unrighteous mankind. So how in the world are people being tempted to rebel against God? Well, it's because of the evilness of their heart. And we see that in a variety of places throughout the Bible. You have Genesis 8, 21. You have Jeremiah 16, 12. Matthew 15, 19. Hebrews 3, verse 12. And Hebrews 10, verse 22 are just some examples of the evilness of man's heart. So God once again proves to mankind that ultimately it's all about the evilness of the unperfected heart. God will perfect the heart in eternity once Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. So when you you have a, um, I remember you have the guy that said, uh, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil can tempt you, but that's an outside influence. It's really the evilness of your unrepentant heart and what what God through Jesus is showing is that during the millennial kingdom, the last thousand-year period before eternity, that even with the outward influences of Satan being mightily reduced because he's in the pit for a thousand years, man still comes to sin and man still rebels because we find that at the end of the millennial kingdom there is a great turning away from God, from Jesus and an attack on Jerusalem and the saints by these people who are acting on the evilness of their heart. So God destroys Satan at the end of the millennial kingdom, and he takes that unrepentant, unperfected heart of man and makes it perfect, just as he did with Israel at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And we go into eternity with no Satan, no death, no sin. We have perfection from that point on. So that's why Satan was not thrown into the lake of fire with the Antichrist and the false prophet at the second um, coming. He was not thrown into the lake of fire until the end after the great white throne judgment. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll see you in the air. 
Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.